Hi, everybody. Welcome to Podcast of Lady on Fire, where we explore the filmmaking themes and community involved in Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We are your hosts. I'm Laurel Hachinova. And I'm Audrey Vanderney. And today we have Laura, our resident historian, Yay. back on the Hello. show. Nice to be back. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Laura is back on the show to answer your burning questions about art, history, mythology, and so much more. And in case you have not caught her previous episodes, Laura is an archaeologist, historical consultant, and history teacher from London. She first joined us back in November to discuss how portrait reframes history. And then she came back on January 1st to help us turn around and wave <laughs> goodbye to the rotted dumpster fire corpse of 2020 by unpacking the Orpheus and Eurydice myth. So yeah, once again, thank you for joining us. Laura, welcome back. Thanks for coming back. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to be back. <laughs> Enjoying being the resident historian of your podcast. So uh, yeah, finding out new interesting things from the questions that are coming in. So uh, yeah, glad to be useful. And I'm glad that people are also enjoying this kind of different perspective to the film or like coming to history in a different way because of it as well as enjoyable. It's like I, li- I obviously like inspiring people about history. So I'm glad that that's happening <laughs> yeah yeah we're really excited that the the call for questions came back we, we got so many responses and it was exciting to see those come in so a couple of quick disclaimers before we dive in neither of us speak french so as always apologies in advance if we mess anything up and we're also assuming that you've watched the movie because this episode might have spoilers if you haven't and one more lastly if we mispronounce your username or your name we are also very sorry about that And with that, let's jump in. Cool. So to set some context, we asked you all a couple weeks ago in our Instagram stories what questions you have for Laura. And in typical Portrait Nation fashion, you did not disappoint. We got a ton of great questions like Laurel just mentioned, and we won't get to all of them today. So this will be maybe like a two or even possibly three-parter or four. (laughs) Who knows? Forever. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> yes. I, I might just ongoing keep more questions coming after. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, this might totally lead to more questions too from everyone. So, <laughs> okay. All right. So our first question comes from Mel. That's me. And they say, I was wondering what was the significance of Eloise noting to bathe and then bathing in the sea? Or if there is any significance at all? Is there a hidden meaning to it? Was it a ritual of that era? Well, again, nice, great questions coming in straight from the film itself to start with. I think, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this before, haven't we, a little bit in terms of it being kind of pushing boundaries and this kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, the the most obvious symbolic meaning of it, I guess, is kind of a bit like a baptism in some way. Like it's the only like thing that immediately comes to mind, whether she almost feels like by doing this, it's like going into another part of her life somehow I don't know what washing away her previous life from the convent and now this is like going to be a new phase of her life something like that maybe in terms of the actual 18th century though if we look at what bathing in the sea actually meant in that specific time period there were a lot of places springing up for therapeutic reasons or curative reasons so people believing that the sea was somewhere where you could go to yeah like be cured for certain illnesses you started having you know hospitals being built near seaside kind of areas and that kind of stuff uh, and actually the the kind of long under 
dress that Eloise is wearing there is obviously just her like under skirt from you know her other clothes that she's wearing but during the 18th century there were actually dresses that looked very similar to that that actually had weights in the bottom of them so that you could go out to sea and the dress wouldn't like ride up with the waves and stuff so again kind of I guess protecting modesty or whatever <laughs> even in the ocean great even, even when in the ocean even, even when covered in water you don't want the water to see anything you don't want those <laughs> yeah. like dolphins to check you out you know yeah. the fish yeah. yeah so we got a little bit of that in ammonite didn't we where Saoirse Ronan's character was sort of like hey you're not doing so great why don't we put you in the ocean and see how that goes <laughs> in like a sort of porta potty style box right. that like pushed yeah, her yeah, out into like, the ocean <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so again that's yeah, yeah to, to stop kind of people seeing women like in a state of undress and that kind of stuff which is <laughs> patriarchy again <laughs> can you speak at all to like bathing in general during that time like was it like pretty standard to be able to bathe regularly and like what did that look like that's kind of a very specific question but i'm just wondering like how often people would go out to you know like a river or something or like literally the ocean to bathe yeah i mean that's a really good question i guess the problem with washing in the sea is the salt water isn't it right like if you, right. if you wash clothes or or yourself you end up just getting more more kind of dirty somehow but yeah like uh, metal tubs were usually used so you'd like sit in a in a tub uh, you know i mean this is obviously more wealthier people but and then people would come with pans of water that had been boiled on the fire and like pour them over you and you would kind of have a sponge and like wash yourself down a little bit and that would be it hmm. and in slightly earlier than this so in the kind of 17th century there was a, a bit of a, a belief that water could cause more problems actually and they had uh, more of an emphasis on rubbing yourself down just with dry or clean towels and clothes so I do think that there is like you know particularly when you think of like the medieval period to so go like you know like even further back there's like a kind of perception that like people were dirty you know like dirty yeah. peasants <laughs> like they were just like dirty all the time and I, I don't think that that's actually really true because then that like you know even you know even today in, in like less developed countries or whatever you know like people do want to try and keep clean in whatever way they can you know it's not, it's not like a natural state to be right Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like dirty, but the way in which they did that would obviously vary. So yeah, like rubbing yourself down with clean clothes or yeah, going into the sea or a river or or warming some water and, and, and washing in some kind of way, I think, yeah, was how people... It makes sense that they would be concerned about water being unsafe as well because they didn't have like purification right. systems yeah. or what have you yeah and i mean like people used to drink well in england anyway there was a big problem with in the 18th century a big problem with gin consumption because mm. people <laughs> yeah you couldn't drink water so people would drink gin but then obviously people right yeah. but then you're drunk. like this yeah. is also clear <laughs> yeah <laughs> this will hydrate me yeah but also a beer as well like you know right. ales uh, and stuff yeah yeah that's what they were like originally kind of like made for aside from tasting nice but also because it was safer to drink than water and and small beer was a type of beer that was given to children <laughs> it's called yeah. small beer it's, it's called for small children beer, yeah. let's bring those back that's adorable that's great. Yeah. yeah 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 that sounds yeah. so cute a bit of small beer, beer at school yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear toddlers demanding their small beers. Mommy, where's my small beer? Where's my small beer? <laughs> I have seen in some like Southern European countries, you know, like little juice boxes, but with wine, which I find really hilarious. But... That's that great. It's oh really God. cute. I mean, I've, they had that here too. Like Sofia Coppola, she has like her own wine um, in tiny cans, you know, yeah. which is like basically kid sized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whether they're for kids or not, I guess it's like a different yeah. issue. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so this next one comes from Ma Lorisa, 
and they ask if she ever comes back. Oh, she's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you please ask the possible reason for page 28 being on the right side of the book? Like, how accurate is that for books during that time? Anyway, I just still can't quite let go of that thought. Ha ha. <laughs> this question actually blew my mind. And I think it might blow everybody's mind right now. And I don't know whether I'm ready. Mal Larissa is like already kind of realized this, but all odd numbers in all books are on the right hand side yes right in every single book and i've never like never thought of that before and then i'm like but yeah but page 28 <laughs> is on the right so right like, yeah what? so and, <laughs> basically i was like i was looking on my bookshelves on like some of my like old books that i have mm -hmm. <laughs> do you have any books that predate this book in from the 18th century no just just checking like i don't um, know no i've got, I've got some late late 19th century not ones. in like okay, a glass okay. case on a pedestal no, no, somewhere no, no, not. with a white glove I, do, I, do have a really, like, I have this travel guide that was given by thomas cook on like a cruise line to egypt wow yeah Which, that's, really crap. Cool. that's cool that's yeah that. <laughs> wow <laughs> Did you just wave to it, Laura? I just waved at the book. <laughs> Hi. Okay, anyway. There's a my bookshelf is behind me for people that obviously can't see. But yeah, so I was I was like looking at them being like, whoa, like I never really thought of this before. And then I remembered from our, our other discussion we had, I can't remember if it was the I think it was our last episode on the Orpheus question um, one. Well, I was mentioning about the different, like that I was really impressed actually the translation of Ovid that Celine used in the section of the book that you can see is actually from the 18th century by a French translator. And I was like, oh, like, I mean, if they've gone to that much trouble, like, is it actually an actual page of the actual book? So basically, I just kind of like looked into like archives and stuff and found a copy of that translation, which also had a blue cover which looked Ooh, like yeah. the, oh, the, the one that they were using and okay. I was like oh okay so is this is this the book let's see if it actually pairs up you know like uh, yeah so and you opened it up and there was a drawing of Mary Ann oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god <laughs> if only if only <laughs> yeah no so the so the odd numbers are still on the right hand side so mm -hmm. page 28 is it it shouldn't be on on, on the right hand side yeah and the page where those lines of Ovid that are on page 28 are actually on page 423 mm -hmm. okay okay <laughs> yeah. is page 423 actually the word the number yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm getting my 423 tattoo yeah. tomorrow yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's like a deep cut reference oh you got a 28 tattoo i got a page 423 yeah, tattoo <laughs> <laughs> page 28 is so 2020 like yeah. but then i mean i know again we've said before about like 28 like the number 28 like what's the significance of the number 28 and the general consensus seems to be like their age right mm -hmm. yeah and also interestingly like when i've talked to friends about this and the the they've said oh you, you know she must have said like i mean i still think that the that the painting at the very end in the gallery doesn't look like it looks much more like the first painting when she doesn't sit for the painting. So I don't think that she like sat mm. for the mm. for the painter. And so the the book reference, you know, like, yeah, she must have just said, oh, you know, it's my favorite psalm or my favorite, like right. whatever. And actually yeah. 28, I think 28 is the number there's the number of chapters in like 
some gospel or something oh, like sure, there are yeah. some par- biblical parallels that 28 could refer to but then my girlfriend who doesn't even like the film necessarily that much which is obviously very upsetting let's unpack that she came up with something even deeper saying that like is it like two and then an infinity sign <gasps> Ooh. Oh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> like to infinity and beyond <laughs> Oh, and that's the show. Thank you so much, everybody. God. This was great. That's the season finale. <laughs> yeah. See you next season. And we're done. It's just like so yeah. many meanings. How can this? How can we still be analyzing? That's so this great. How? How? We ask ourselves how? that every episode. That's great. Yeah. I think this is a really interesting question, though, because at some point that probably got standardized. I doubt it was like as soon as people started printing stuff, it was like that was the standard way of approaching or it. That it was is al- it like, always because like because of the mechanics of like the way that you have to bind and fold paper and well, you've got like think, the cover yeah. sheet and then yeah yeah because the the first page is always going to be on the right because you've got the cover haven't you so the cover right. is yeah. yeah but yeah. i don't know if that's i don't know I, I imagine there's like some situations i don't know i can't speak to like <laughs> the origin of printing but or like yeah. page numbering yeah. yeah 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 i've always thought it was done for the convenience of the the film because it's probably a lot easier to also draw on the the right side if you're right-handed. But she flips the book over. That's true. But then it makes you think, like, why is it 28, though? Like, it could be 27. It could be 29. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I think she already had the 28 in mind. But why? Yeah. Because of the two in infinity so, Because yeah, of the exactly. two in infinity. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That must be it. Yeah. I yeah. just don't think it was, like, spontaneous that she was like, okay, let's just come up with this random number, right? Like, we know it's in reference to, like, the ages and stuff. And then other things related to i think isn't that when she like met adele she was 28 something like that yeah there's like a bunch of reasons yeah, why maybe. she she chose yeah. 28 but yeah you're right it could have been on the other side so that is really interesting but i guess the in the gallery scene though for the page to actually be shown it would have had to have been on the right well actually i guess they could have painted her the other way around so then it would be the left <laughs> a mirror yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it is interesting anyway. i mean maybe this is like they just didn't think about it you know, the odd even thing. I would be super surprised, but yeah. But it's, it's, it's interesting, though, that it's like, you know, yeah, the detail of it being an actual 18th century French translation mm-hmm. right. and everything. And then the page number being like changed. But yeah, obviously, it's still very, very cool. Yeah. Volume two, page 432. Tw- 423, <laughs> okay. sorry, is, the, is apparently the, the... Oh, yeah. Don't get a 432 th- yeah, tattoo. Sorry. That means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So our third question comes from L. Barker Film, who says, I don't know much about this at all, but I thought that until pretty recently in history, being left-handed was shunned and looked down on. And at some points in history, it was even seen as being possessed by the devil. I don't know. Maybe something to check with Laura. The reason I bring it up is because I do wonder why Celine let Adele's character be left-handed in the film, if that used to be more rare and or less accepted. Is it because Eloise's family was rich, so maybe it didn't matter to them, and Eloise was going to be married off anyway? So many possibilities. Anyway, thought it might be something to check with the resident historian. For reference, H mixes paint and cuts vegetables with her left hand. Interesting question, and you're right that left-handedness has been seen as negative throughout most of history. I mean, just for, I guess, the general reason that about 90% of people are right-handed so you know as with most periods in history if you were kind of somehow different then you were kind of shunned but you might you know like in cartoons and stuff you uh, sometimes see you know like the angel and the devil on people's shoulders Mm -hmm. that was actually like a genuine kind of belief that 
oh, angel yeah. and the devil were on your like shoulders <laughs> whispering in your ears and the left hand side was where the devil was and so i don't know i don't know if you do this in america yeah. but in england we have a kind of if you drop salt you have to like throw salt over your left shoulder to like throw it in the eyes of the devil is supposedly like still a like thing that you sometimes do. I've heard of, I mean, I, I'm familiar with like throwing salt over your shoulder, but I did, maybe it got like once it came overseas, it yeah. lost the left the shoulder, left. at least for yeah. the way that I've heard it. Yeah. It was just over your shoulder. So we've Same. just got devils everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. just like wherever you throw it, it's going to hit something. <laughs> yeah. So obviously, yeah, if, if the devil is kind of like manipulating the left hand side of you, I guess that that's like, you know, kind of bad. But even in the 20th century, like quite relatively late in the 20th century, children were beaten at school when corporal punishment was still legal for using their left hand. And they'd have their Yeesh. hand like tied behind their back and forced to write right handed and that kind of stuff. And also, like, if you think about linguistically in lots of languages, the word for right, I mean, mm-hmm. see in English, like right. It's, it's also like right, and right. but also in other languages like in italian like sinistra means mm-hmm. left and that's like sinister, sinister kind of, you know? yeah. yeah and droite i can't sorry i can't speak french either in french right yeah i haven't gotten we already apologize yeah. so go ahead and yeah. mess it up in english droite also means like a legal right as well Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like oh right from yeah, French yeah. it's, it's coming it, yeah. to English in, in I like that. oh correct yeah. yes yeah. I like saying you're instead of being left-handed you're like an illegal right-hander yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're sinister-handed Ugh. I think I think probably like Adele is using her left hand because it's obviously just more natural for her and you know like I don't know I don't think if, if it's like she's mixing paint and cutting vegetables, it's just like, you know, she's just acting those things and has done it like naturally. And obviously because the painter was right-handed, Noemi had to change her yeah. hand, didn't she? Yeah. You know, like yeah. if they had a left-handed painter, maybe that wouldn't have needed to happen. But if you want to try and infer something from it, I don't know, like maybe being, you know, left-handed showed that you were some kind of rule breaker is it like a yeah yeah, yeah. code like oh i'm left-handed you like, wanna, you if know. you want to read into that <laughs> the symbolism of that totally yeah, yeah. but i mean i yeah. do think that like if, if you were in in the convent for example where she's come from like i said like at schools they would like force you to not use your left hand so i think it would be quite hard to be left-handed like in the convent because you'd be like doing manuscripts and stuff and they would probably force you to to use your angel hand yeah, use yeah. Your angel hand yeah Unless you're uh, gay nun, I guess. <laughs> it's like, you're gay, it's fine. You're already possessed by the devil. It's cool. Yeah, so it could, like, maybe it indicates that despite all efforts, Eloise remained herself, you know. She just, this is what I'm going to do, and no matter how much you try to beat it out of me or tie my hand behind my back, I'm just going to use my left hand. Yeah, I think that's definitely one way to interpret it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is an interesting question to me, because I have a funny story, which is, and I can't verify this, but according to my family, I was born left-handed and my grandpa, my grandparents were still pretty traditional. And in China, this is like the same thing applies where they still think if you're left-handed, you are possessed by the devil or it's it's related to the devil. And so I had my left hand bound when I was a kid wow. and now I am right-handed. So wow. this is like still relatively recent, at least in some cultures. Have you tried, do you try to use your left hand? I mean, not really. There, there are certain things where I feel like I'm more 
comfortable doing with my left side of my body in general, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Shimming. <laughs> but no, like I cannot write with my left hand. I mean, I'm sure like if I spent a lot of time practicing, like I would get there, but it's been so long, you know, since I was a child. So yeah, I used to, I used to be obsessed with trying to be ambidextrous because I thought, oh, what if I ever lose the use of my right hand? And I never, I still have not succeeded, but it was briefly in high school and middle school, like an obsession. <laughs> I do know some people that can like write with one hand and draw with the other. I don't know if that's Whoa. like a specific type of ambidextrousness, you know, yeah. like with letters versus pictures. But yeah. Cool. All right. Our next question comes from Je suis Jessie. Okay. And the question is, were there any known lesbian couples in 18th century France? And the answer is yes. I was waiting to be disappointed because of yeah. your disclaimer, but <laughs> you were just setting us up. Wait, did we record that disclaimer or were we just talking about it beforehand? Uh, I thought Laura mentioned it a couple times, but I could be wrong about Don't possibly know. disappointing people. Well, can't remember. Oh, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay so yes there were yay love it some known lesbian couples in the 18th century france which is great and i've actually found the closest couple to 1770 which is a lady called francois marie antoinette sorcerer so gay who was known <laughs> as mademoiselle raucourt raucourt oh my god wow. the gayest <laughs> <laughs> and so she was an actress who lived in so gay lived in Paris. And <laughs> <laughs> she was probably left-handed too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I, I couldn't find that. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she was part of the Comédie Française in 1772 to 1799, and she became well known in Paris for having relationships with both men and women. So I guess she was bisexual, but she had a on again, off again relationship with an opera singer called <gasps> Sophie Arnold. And they created a secret society of lesbians in Paris. Shut up. Wow. It was called the Sect of Anandrines. And basically they had big arguments. It's like two, basically, yeah, like sounds pretty gay. Two girlfriends having a huge <laughs> argument about whether other should the secret society only be for women or should you allow gay men to also be part of the wow. like, okay. uh -huh. society? Yeah. Which again, it also sounds you know, kind of like modern in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah so that's the the, the closest. To, that's to super cool. Seventeen seventy. Where is this movie? Yeah. Give me this oh, movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a cool movie. Please. But I mean, like, interestingly, though, like when the French Revolution happens in 1791, they make homosexuality like not a crime and decriminalize it. And it's like the first country in Europe to do that, which is interesting. But strangely, well, I mean, not strangely, because she was like very pro-royalty, which is the whole point of the French Revolution. Mm. But um, <laughs> despite the fact that homosexuality was decriminalized during the French Revolution, she actually got imprisoned during the uh, French Revolution for being pro-monarchy. But when she was in prison... She hooked up with she everyone. <laughs> a woman called, uh, yeah, Henriette Simonoponti. And she lived with her for the rest of her life. Oh, no yeah. way. There wow. you go. That's great. You mean in prison? Uh, no, she came She came out of prison. She wasn't in prison. Okay, for, okay. She was in for like less than a year. Oh, I see. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Just enough time to pick up a woman and then get yeah, out you need. That's great. <laughs> and, and then when she died, there was like a huge scandal as well because... Um, 
uh, abbot of a church in Paris, like wouldn't allow her to um, be buried in the church. And I wonder what the reason is for that. I don't know whether it was because she was pro-monarchy or perhaps mm, because of her uh, the rumours of her yeah, being yeah. gay. But a mob of 15,000 people stormed the <sighs> no. church and like, were like, bury her where she wants to be buried. Holy shit. And yeah, they allowed her to... Oh my gosh, like, this yeah. is great. It's like, I'm just imagining those like 15,000 like members of this like sect that they like <laughs> set up just being like let her be there that's so great oh, yeah. i needed yeah. this after the world to come too so we should have saved good. this one for last yeah this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all oh, downhill so from great. here my heart is so warm is there anything we can link to like resource wise because I, I think this is really fascinating i don't know if there's like any books or i can send you some links to various things okay. that you can put in the cool. description great. Like, yeah cool. Just some further reading. In case anyone wants to read more. Yeah. yeah. Or just read it again and again. Yeah. They're also understudied, though. That's the thing. Like, it's, it's you know, takes a bit of searching to find the things. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing the searching to find these things. This is so good. Yeah. Thank you for doing the labor. Oh, I love it. I find it really interesting. It's, like, it's adding more interesting things that I can talk about in class as well. So uh, <laughs> That's so cool, though. I love the, the, the mob of pro this one person being buried where she wants that's yeah. so great Fifteen thousand people like geez are we just over inferring things i don't know do no, no no it's fine it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. that's what we're here for i was having this conversation actually earlier today where i was like you know like often people say that like you know in history you've got to be careful about putting modern perspectives onto the past you know, like like transposing i don't know yeah like modern feminist thought or whatever onto people that wouldn't have had those like ideas but then right, right, at right. the same time i am also like like obviously we we are socialized differently and like have grown up in like different culture to people in in different time periods but i still do think that people in all time periods are like human beings that have like emotions do you know what i mean and like yeah actually yeah. a lot of these issues are just about like people having feelings about things and um, yeah I don't know I, I, I don't know maybe it's just a, like looking at everything with a portrait lens from now on where I'm just like obviously everyone was like going around like Eloise being like what is this like no I'm not doing but this. it's like, a valid lens yeah, it's like I mean exactly. I, all of history is going to be lensed in some way right yeah, so, exactly, yeah. I mean it's usually been lensed in like the other way right, right so exactly. we're just kind yeah, of yeah. like course adjusting a little bit but or yeah. course correcting yeah. yeah which is how we yeah. get things like oh the you know the first tool makers were men it's like you know probably not because women were often the ones who had to do things one-handed so mm. what if it was women how about mm. that you know yeah so i feel like a feminist lens is fine you know yeah, like, let's try it how about we yeah. try it for a while <laughs> yeah. and see how that goes Jeez. can we can we are we allowed yeah, can we try right. yeah oh my gosh <laughs> you asked nicely <laughs> remember this is your sphere of agency and you can do whatever you want within it like, yeah. just maybe a, just yeah. a little yeah maybe only at Arbor Hest, though. So. No. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's oh. funny, and it's so sad. Okay, <laughs> number five. So, Shayna loves food, right? What's the oldest record of lesbian activity? <laughs> I, love, I love this question. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's like lesbian activity could yeah. mean what? so many things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, like I say, I, I, I do like the fact that this film is, uh, you know, for, for all the period films that have come out recently, I'm glad that at least that this one is, is, is making people think about, you know, other historical time periods of, of, That's true. of yeah. these people yeah. um, existing. So... 
we, we go to like Egypt in the Near East basically to find like the earliest references. So let us travel there right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the the first, well, what is claimed to be often or is cited as the first kind of male homosexual relationship is a tomb in Egypt of Khnumhotep and Nyankhnum, um, which is from 2400 BC, where they have their two men and they're like facing each other and their noses are touching, which seems like mm. a kind of like... Seems very romantic. Yeah, like more, yeah. more, more of a closer relationship somehow. Well, that's pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> and if we stick with Oop. Egypt, we have references to women having... Nose touching. They're like also relationships. Noses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit later. Well, a little bit later, quite a lot, like, like a thousand years later, but in, it's strange. <laughs> a little bit later. <laughs> Relatively, it's a little bit, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's strange in Egypt, though, because often we think of like ancient Egypt as just like one homogenous time period, but actually it spans like 3,000 years. Right, yeah. It was actually like a really long time period. Um, but just because like the art stays similar throughout that time, mm. people think that it's like, ancient Egypt is like one thing but it's actually mm-hmm. quite different anyway <laughs> so yes in ancient Egypt however 1000 years later um, we have references in some papyri of women uh, well saying that women were having dreams of having intercourse with other women all right <laughs> and if they have a dream about having intercourse with another woman she will come to a bad end so Great. Not, not, not so positive. <laughs> okay. However, that's from the 18th dynasty. So yeah, like about 1500 BC. And then in 970 BC, we have a really interesting section of someone's book of the dead. So these are yeah, papyri put with the mummified bodies. And they're like full of spells and stuff in order to get into the um, afterlife. And one of them says, I never had sex with a woman in the temple. So the fact that it says that <laughs> suggests yeah. that probably that's happening. Never in the temple. <laughs> not in the temple. Like, yeah. Just not in the temple, but yeah. every, in the temple. literally everywhere else constantly. Not like there's other people who are in the right. temple. <laughs> 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 like that. that sounds like lesbian activity. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That, does, that does. And we do also have in uh, the tomb of Nebamoon, the frescoes of which are in the British Museum um, in London, there are, and in lots of other frescoes, you see, you know, like female servants and musicians and dancers they're often quite like scantily clad and they are in rooms where women are also present so unlike in you know Greece where you had like female dancers but with only men present Mm -hmm. there was also like men and women at these feasting rituals it seems we're not quite sure about whether they are actually like like representations of an actual feast that's actually happening or whether it's kind of like a mythologized feast let's say but yeah what was there you know activities going on those feasts who knows (laughs) 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 well let's just stick with Egypt as I'm just there at the moment but another thousand years later so in like the second and third century AD so this is when Egypt is ruled by Rome we have some curse tablets of oh my goodness lesbians making curses on (laughs) That sounds gay. That's like the gayest thing that you can do as a lesbian. Were they exes? Like I don't know, but so some of them are like hexes for exes. Yeah. Oh, nice. Very good. A lot of them are about trying to make a girl like fall in love with you. Oh, oh, very well. Yeah. Even gayer. How did this get gayer? The language is really funny because it's like this one's like Harace demands the Egyptian god Anubis and the Greek god Hermes to make a figure named Evangelos to cause Serapis to be attracted to her race. Now, now, quickly, quickly. <laughs> now, now, quickly, quickly. Immediately. 
with haste, please. Yeah, so like the, this uh, Evangelos is probably like some kind of ghost to be like spirited up to. Um, yeah, that sounds very similar to a poem from Sappho as well, where she's calling on like Artemis to have someone fall in love with her. Yeah. So I guess it's thematic. That's great. And then there's, a, there's another one. Actually, this one this one's very relevant because it actually mentions fire, believe it or not. Fire, you say. So, <laughs> yeah, fire. So a girl named Sophia wants to make Gorgonia fall in love with her and she summons a ghost to inflame Gorgonia's heart, <laughs> soul and Aww. liver with love. Oh, oh her liver. All, all, yeah. all, all of those things. And uh, she demands that the ghost summons themselves as a fire-breathing demon. This is so specific. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> then drive Gorgonia to the public baths where presumably Sophia will be waiting. Oh, wow. For- was Gorgonia straight? Like this feels like a, a very sort of specific like yearning. Like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> was the liver like the heart of that era or something? Because I, you know, it, yeah. Well, you're not wrong. They thought that if I'm not wrong, I think they thought that blood was created in the liver. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. So it was like yeah, connected sure, yeah. more closely to your heart than. Uh, we think of it today. So these are some Egyptian lesbian activities. <laughs> this is great, yeah. For some Near Eastern, so going to like Mesopotamia, which is like Iran and Iraq. The Code of Hammurabi from 1700 BC mentions man women, which seems to be women who marry other women. Wow. We aren't quite clear about this though, because sure. Mesopotamian stuff that survived, I mean, obviously it's like really old and written like these cuneiform tablets. And so we have like things like the Code of Hammurabi, but then like not any more like elaboration. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. like where? I mean, I, I always think that when you see things like laws like that, like usually laws are created to to stop something. or stop <laughs> right. something that right, is happening. Yeah. So if it's like allowing women to marry other women, that suggests that that was something that people were doing. Otherwise, why would you create a specific law for that? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. It wasn't just like, oh, men, women are totes cool, moving on. Yes. <laughs> it was just like not a neutral statement. Yeah. And just in, in general, in like Assyria and Mesopotamia, like homosexual relationships didn't seem to be looked down on or mm-hmm. they weren't mm-hmm. prohibited or anything. But again, like lesbians are not mentioned separately aside from that one reference. So not mm. quite sure on mm-hmm. that. In terms of ancient Greece, obviously we're going to get to Sappho um, soon, but we've also (laughs) obviously got like the Amazons. We've got the myth of Artemis and Callisto as well. I don't know if you know this one. So Artemis is the goddess of hunting and Callisto was one of her like followers who went on these like hunting trips with the goddess in in, in the woods. And she was clearly in love with or having some kind of a thing with Artemis because Zeus transforms himself into Artemis in order to lure Callisto. So Callisto and fake Artemis, aka Zeus, end up having a thing. But obviously she gets pregnant because Zeus is the gross man. Wow, Zeus. What a douche. And so then, yeah, she gets expelled from Artemis's group and it's like really sad. And then she gets transformed into a bear and then like killed when hunting. That always happens. I know, I know. Yeah. And then uh, we've like in, in China as well, first homosexual references from the Shang Dynasty, 16th to 11th century BC. Shang Dynasty records mention homosexuality, but again, not lesbianism. So, oh, uh, see, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the typical omission, <laughs> but yeah, obviously right. it did still exist, I think. But, yeah. Like men were having homosexual re- relationships and women were just 
fascinating friends. Like, yeah, they were just really good friends. Pals. They were just hanging out. Yeah, like the blurb for portrait tells us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you. Wow, I feel like this could be its own episode. Yeah. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Okay, so from Tuck, aka Tiny Fruit Bat, they ask, how did Sappho's work get lost? Do we know if she was accepted in her time? So no, I think quite a few people were asking about Sappho, weren't they? I think it's mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the question, lots of people want to know uh, more about Sappho. And I guess the, the kind of sad thing in some ways is that it is just really hard to know anything about her life. And I've like mentioned this before, just in terms of like history in general, and in particular ancient history, and in particular certain periods of ancient history, it's just really hard to know what's going on there because records have been lost. So, you know, she's we know that she was clearly really famous in the ancient world, which is why we have like references to her. And it's just really frustrating, obviously, that like all of the work has not been, you know, kept, just hasn't survived, you know, because it it requires people to continuously keep writing it down, you know. And and if that hasn't happened, then we'll just eventually get less. And it's not just the case with Sappho, it's the case of like loads of, you know, playwrights and authors and things that we that we know were really famous in antiquity, but we just like don't even have any of their work. So it's nice that we have at least some of them. So how have they got lost? Because people unfortunately didn't keep writing them down or things like when the uh, Library of Alexandria got burnt down, you know, that was a huge loss oh, yeah. in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, literature just being lost and the amount of time and effort and, and work that took to create that, which then couldn't be redone very quickly. So yeah, she was known as the 10th muse in the ancient world. So we know that people clearly admired her, people copied her style of poetry as well. So lots of other poets in antiquity kind of copy her. But in terms of her sexuality, which I know is the thing that like, <laughs> I'm interested about Sappho, that's actually something that is a little bit like more unclear in terms of how people saw her in that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if we think about the society of ancient Greece again, which I think maybe, maybe people get their heads around or not, is just that they didn't think about sexuality in the same way that has been or is is thought about today, because all of these terms like lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, like they all come from the 19th century. Like before that, they just like weren't terms that were Mm -hmm. like used in that, in, in that same way. And, you know, people in the ancient world would have relationships with men and presumably also with women because their lives were so they were kept so separate as well like I just you know what I mean like if you've got like completely all male groups and all female groups like when you're growing up and stuff I just like that's what happens I guess I mean look at boarding schools or like schools or something do you know what I mean like it is just like the way things work so obviously we know that like some of her poems are addressed to women is that particularly significant well I mean a lot of like male poets are also addressing poems to men so is it just a thing that's not thought about in quite like the same way, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. And actually, and I'm sorry if I'm going to break some hearts here. Oh, but no. Sappho in antiquity was usually seen as more of a tragic heroine figure because she, she commits suicide for the unrequited love of a man called Aeon. <gasps> oh, I did not know that. So oh. like... In antiquity, was that what she was more like mm. known for from that sense? Not sure. What I think is also really interesting, though, is that when her poems were, you know, like the fragments that do survive started to um, be retranslated, particularly in the 18th century and even up into the late 20th century, men were translating them and they translated them with the pronouns changed. 
so that she was speaking to man so oh right right, right. Uh, yeah which is yeah. interesting as well yeah I guess. that makes sense i mean gross yeah. yeah only 600 lines we have of her lovely poems but it's, it's perhaps not as simple to see i mean obviously it's nice to think of her as like you know <laughs> the og or whatever <laughs> 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 but were there like many other women who were also like engaged in these relationships is it just because we just happen to have some of those fragments of poems that are addressed to women that we think of it in that way or not i mean like i said like these other myths that have women involved with other women mm-hmm. are kind of glossed over more perhaps other than looked at more closely i don't know yeah uh, but yeah i will say that i i recently picked up what is quickly becoming one of my favorite books of poetry and it was the translation of sappho by ann carson have you seen that one it's mm-hmm. It's called If Not Winter, and it's just so no one else can see this, but the way that she's done it, you you two can see it, is she'll take the the Greek yeah. and and the fragments and like note with brackets where the fragments are, so what's missing. And mm. you get this oh, like wow. as you're reading the book, you get this sense that you're reading like fragments of papyrus, yeah. right? It's really beautiful. It's almost like her work in, in this structure makes it almost feel like a haiku and sometimes you know because all you have are these little like phrases which is why it's called if not winter because it's one of the fragments mm. that survived yeah but visually yeah. it's very e. e. cummings yeah it does yeah it does feel like that but it's always amazing isn't it yeah like when you read like little even if they're just very tiny sections it's something that someone wrote like so long ago e- even though it's frustrating that we don't have the whole work i still find it really amazing that even just that small fragment has like travels down like so far you know yeah yeah so yeah that's why history's the best <laughs> and so interesting it is interesting how like sappho and sapphic has been or i guess specifically sapphic has been adopted so widely as like a term almost replacing lesbian right more right. recently i mean i know it's been used through history but thinking about that in light of what you've said about you know the ambiguity around mm. sappho as a person is it's fascinating. <laughs> well, it's kind of, I mean, again, like it, when these terms like became terms that were actually used in the 19th century, it's partly because that's when, you know, interest in a lot of these like classical authors came back again. And probably, you know, like I said, if they were translating them, not even with the right pronouns, if you were going to make a kind of comment about someone who was following that relationship it's like a kind of almost like an allegorical way to reference women in in a relationship by like oh it's like it's like Sappho it's like this uh yeah like other type of love you know I don't know trying to make it a little bit more like literary somehow to make it less subversive somehow I don't know yeah yeah yeah. let me read fragment 57 which is what country girl seduces your wits wearing a country dress not knowing how to pull the cloth to her ankles feels pretty gay and like, <laughs> checks out but yeah i can see how yeah well i mean this was pretty like aphrodite has overcome me with longing for a girl i mean it couldn't really be much more <laughs> yeah, I I think, like, yeah. <laughs> you think that's gay that's yeah. a little gay that's a little gay i mean gay one up you yeah. but this, this, this is actually one of the like really sad like the fragments where you like feel like someone's like speaking through the ages it says you may forget, but let me tell you this. Someone in some future time will think of us. Oh, man. Oh. Wow. That's gorgeous. Sappho. Oh, Sappho. Oh, Sappho. Yeah. 
Well, in the intro to this, too, Carson points out some really some really nice things that I thought were... So she talks about how Sappho is all, often taken out of context because, you know, they'll just, like, cram all the fragments together and create a phrase and then use that phrase as an example for something. But other times, we only get the context and not the content. So there was this one thing. Let's see. So, oh, man. I'm glad we... Oh, we apologize for French up front. I'm going to apologize for not knowing Greek right now. But someone (laughs) named Stobios said, Solon of Athens heard his nephew sing a song of Sappho's over the wine. And since he liked the song so much, he asked the boy to teach it to him. When someone asked why, he said, so that I may learn it and then die. So we don't know what song it was, but we know that it was so good that someone was like, that's the last thing I want to learn. And then I can just and then I can die. <laughs> like, but also it shows how popular it is as well. Right. Because like, yeah. that's from Plato, no? Uh, yeah. One of the dialogues? <laughs> no? It says Stobios. Oh, okay. um, the yeah, Florigelium. I don't, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. The, the point is, yeah, like we, we have a lot of references to her in lots of places which you don't like you know, i don't know like when we're just talking about like when, i mean imagine the portrait of a lady in fact the actual film gets lost right but like yeah this podcast survives right right yeah exactly yeah people are talking about it but like no one actually knows what the actual thing is right right. that's that's a very good analogy yeah Yeah, i think that's kind of like the closest way or or even just like some episodes from this podcast do you know what i mean like right yeah yeah even just like snippets of what we're saying yeah (laughs) just what you say survives yeah yeah so also from tiny fruit bat we've got any theories on the switch from matriarchal society to patriarchal? Again, co- contra- <laughs> <laughs> just this like lightweight just question. Like, yeah. Lightweight question. yeah, also kind of quite a controversial question as well because there are big questions about whether like true matriarchal societies have really existed. So to pull apart like actually what do you mean by matriarchal society because i think some people confuse matriarchal with matrilineal matrilineal yeah, yeah which is following the female line rather than the male line which obviously does give women marginally more power somehow but they don't actually hold positions of power like political power or economic power or whatever i mean so i mean we were just talking about greece but like in the in the spartan constitution it was matrilineal. So the the inheritance and property went from mother to daughter. But within that, of course, it's still a patriarchal mm-hmm. society, isn't it? Where like, you know, the men are de- choosing who the girls can marry and like deciding everything about like their lives. So, I mean, often there, there are arguments that there was some form of slightly more female-centered societies in prehistoric periods where we seem, there seems to be more of an emphasis on kind of like a mother goddess of some kind, or yeah, like kind of this idea of mother earth or, you know, the importance of childbirth and that kind of stuff, meaning that women had more power or were worshipped like in a different way. But again, if you kind of take Greece as another example, you know, you have female goddesses, they have huge amounts of power, right. but the society is still patriarchal. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so it's quite a difficult concept. I don't really know, like, was there truly a switch? I don't really know, depending on, 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 like what you think matriarchal means, I guess. And if if you look a bit later, like with early modern periods, I, I, obviously I'm kind of thinking from a slightly more British context thing I know a bit better, but like, you know, where you've got the, like the Tudor queens, like Mary I and Elizabeth I. Yes, they're female queens. They face a lot of prejudice in order to be 
queen in the first place, but then they do hold the queenship and then they have huge amounts of power. But really, it's almost like being a queen bee and that like it's still men around them doing all of the work and holding all the positions. It's not like them, those women coming into power doesn't suddenly make other women gain more power, Mm -hmm, if that mm -hmm, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think some Native American cultures have more actual matriarchal societies where women have actual more active decision making power within communities. So, yeah, like some of those societies do but again like you know less information is written down from those societies so it's more kind of like oral tradition and what we you know has been handed down that we know from that so a little bit more harder to decipher i guess so yeah yeah it's the same where i'm it's the same in guam which had also a matrilineal history but we still had chiefs you know like the chiefs were the ones who who ruled the villages and stuff yeah yeah Cool. Okay. (laughs) I mean, not cool, but fine. I mean, I guess it's just like women have to give birth, right? And I think that that well, have to in in history, like that was like their kind of like role, and that kind of yeah puts people a because of mortality as well. I mean, there's like you know, I think in the medieval period is that like at least a thirty percent chance of death with every pregnancy. So do you know what I mean? Like yeah, and, yeah, and if you're getting having to be pregnant multiple times because of like you know people wanting children and you know carrying on the family line or whatever it's gonna potentially affect your ability to be more involved in politics i don't know if that's like how mm, yeah especially yeah, if you're yeah, popping sure. out like 12 babies right right yeah, and you're like sick from that you know yeah. like and, and weakened and, and, and also being forced to look after them because there's you know that's your role right like right. Um, you know i don't know so yeah yeah maybe that's yeah. why it's that way but it doesn't Hopefully now it doesn't necessarily have to be that way because we've got more choices, I guess. But I guess <laughs> is why it has been yeah. that way in the past. So our next question comes from UIAO. <laughs> I'm not going to even <laughs> try to pronounce that. If that oh, yeah. that's a good, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> that was no not the apologies. intention of your no. daylight. Come and me want to go home. Okay. I know. Yeah. So... The question is, who is a woman from ancient history or mythology you'd like to have a conversation with? Why? Why? Yeah. Well, obviously, I have I have to obviously like you know in my head like Eloise and Marianne are real historical characters. So aside from of course, them, they're, of course. they're not ancient history. But anyway, if I mean again, kind of like ancient Greek characters come to mind most immediately in my head so i mean like i think the most interesting goddess is like athena because she's like yeah the goddess of wisdom so she definitely have lots of cool stories to to help yeah it checks out yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, i just think that like it's interesting like how she manages to establish herself as such a powerful goddess as and and a, a huge rival to people like Ares and zeus and stuff how does she do that even when all the male gods are being so annoying all the time, like how does she like <laughs> hit them with a thunderbolt or like, I don't know, like, well, not thunderbolt, but throw her spear at like them or whatever. <laughs> I feel like Artemis is also kind of cool, but like, I don't think she's very talkative. I feel like she'd just like run around in the woods and be a bit like quiet, which is a bit, <laughs> a bit aggressive. So I feel like we wouldn't have like, like such a great conversation. Like trying to have a conversation. Yeah. She's like running away from you. Yeah. So like a queen, like maybe Penelope, the poor, long-suffering wife of Odysseus, like how, I mean, I just feel like <laughs> we should just like have a party, you know, like just waiting, yeah, yeah. like 
let's just have a party. Let's just get rid of these suitors and just like have a party up in the women's quarters. Like forget <laughs> them downstairs. Like, you know. They're going to be killed anyway. Just yeah. ignore them now. Oh, the thing that really annoys me though is that like there's this moment in the Odyssey where like she comes down and she like asks some question to her son Telemachus and then he's like, go back upstairs, mom. Yeah. Your place is not here. Oh my what God. Dick? Like, son, what? Yeah. I birthed you. <laughs> yeah. like my only purpose apparently at this time. <laughs> You're not like even listening to me. <laughs> and also, yeah, like to kind of like ask her legit, like, are you actually happy that Odysseus came back? Right. Like, I feel yeah, like yeah. not necessarily that happy. And how happy were you after he killed all those people? <laughs> and yeah, everyone like, else oh, got mad at you. You're a murderer. Great. Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who else? I mean, I mean, it'd be cool to get taught by Sappho, obviously. That would be cool. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Cool teacher. <laughs> yeah. Hypatia of Alexandria as well. Also very cool. Like female uh, mathematician. You know, she took care of the library. She'd obviously know about cool. lots of books. She'd probably pull out some good things to... She'd probably be really excited too. Like, oh, let me show you this book and yeah, yeah run around yeah, the library. Like, completely nerd out about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Loads of different page 28s on various yeah. <laughs> And maybe, And maybe like... Queen Gorgo as well, who's like the wife of Leonidas, who goes off to the Battle of Thermopylae, like, and she kind of like rules Sparta in his absence. I feel like she's probably a pretty strong leader. And again, like, how do you kind of manage that? Like the irritations of the of the male community, <laughs> 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 like when you're like, guys, just listen to me and do yeah. what I say. Does it help when I put on this mustache? Does that is it? Yeah, yeah. I, am I better now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Will you listen now? <laughs> do the words have more gravitas now that I have this? Yeah. 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 I like your lineup. I'm I'm kind of picturing like a yeah. almost Diane Sawyer style talk show where you just have these like intimate conversations with women oh, so in nice. ancient yeah. history, mythology. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe I can like be an interview. Is that someone? So I need to get some people to like act as the different. Yeah. Like, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have an intimate Good and idea. extensive knowledge of you know what they would have been like and then yeah just mm. off the cuff kind of like improvise a conversation yeah. or, or, or i can just do it like myself like talking to myself oh, yeah. 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 Both, both in like a dramatic v kind <laughs> yeah. of a yeah situation i would absolutely subscribe to this youtube channel yes apparently i actually did that as a child so when at a school nativity play when i was like four or something i was playing mary uh-huh. And then Joseph like was crying or something and didn't want to go on the stage. So I just played Mary and Joseph. So <laughs> there you are. That's yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Hey ho. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So this is the last question. Locals Photography asks, what is your favorite LGBTQ plus little known fact from the topics mentioned, which were art, history, mythology, convent life, LGBTQ plus in ancient Greece, Sappho, witchcraft? Wow. Okay. So what's your favorite little known LGBTQ fact? Yeah. <laughs> I will give a very small answer because obviously I could talk for another hour or five about all of those different things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting that Aristotle in the fourth century BC basically proved that there are no animals that don't display homosexual behavior except animals that don't have sex like sea urchins and aphids and I just find it really interesting that that's like something that was kind of like proven somehow so long ago and then was just kind of like lost <laughs> um, and yeah then, I know. Um, yeah, like all of all of the kind of homophobia and everything that's resulted from not just kind of accepting that fact that was kind of already realized from so long ago. 
yeah, I don't think many people realise that that was kind of actually worked out so long ago. Yeah, um, yeah. So, right. yeah. yeah. We, we've yeah. covered that. Yeah. Yeah. Established. Yeah. Move on. Oh. <laughs> that is a really great little known fact. And I feel like this really could be another show or a whole another episode <laughs> where it's just like Laura's little known facts. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, this is basically what this is. Isn't it? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's so true. Ask the resident historian whatever you like about any historical period. Yeah. <laughs> it can be yeah. vaguely related to portrait in some way. But <laughs> if you want it to It doesn't really have to be. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Very vaguely. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sea urchins. We got to sea urchins from portraits. We did. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Great. It's, quite it's like yeah. six degrees yeah. of sea urchins. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our new um, podcast name. Well, is, uh... That could have been pretty quick, though, because Eloise was bathing in the sea and then yeah. you get sea urchins. Yeah. This happened I mean, very like, naturally, though. I don't know. It's I think true. No, a... it did happen far more organically. <laughs> it's 28 degrees of portrait. So, oh, yeah, we took a lot of steps. Nice. Or 423. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 423 oh, is the new 28, everybody. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's not going to catch on. It's, it's going to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> Volume 2, page 423. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Well, on that note, that is the show. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions for Laura. Next time we, and by we, I mean Laura, will be answering your questions about the convent, art, sea urchins, I don't know, other little known facts. Who knows what might happen? Whatever else you want to ask, just ask away. (laughs) Exactly. In the meantime, if you have any other questions, comments, or thoughts for us or Laura, let us know. You can email us at podcastofladyonfire at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at podcastofladyonfire and Twitter at P-O-A-L-O-F podcast. Or better yet, you can leave us an audio message. We really love these. Head over to anchor.fm slash P-O-A-L-O-F slash message. Or you can record something and email us. You can also record something for Laura yep. there too. Uh, speaking of which, Laura, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at LAB Historical. I did start a podcast a while ago called LAB History Time, but with all the dramas of lockdown and now live Zooming <laughs> all my classes, I haven't had time to add to it since like last May. But it is on there with some me talking about various historical things if you want to hear more of my voice. <laughs> and yeah, I'm co-authoring some new textbooks for schools for Key Stage 3. Yay. Which we're very excited about. Yeah, so they're going to be about global history with Collins, uh, which is very exciting. So yeah, any other questions or whatever, just send me a message on Twitter and I will get back to you. <laughs> Great. All right. Thank you again for joining us. And we're excited for you to come back next time and the time after that. And, you know, forever and ever and ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's always great chatting to you and having a very interesting historical conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.